Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. In the Gun, episode 129, I'm Scott Cowan. That is the signal caller, Jed Drenning. We're going to have Phil Steele here with us in a minute, as we always do. You know the regular season's over. We got uh, Phil for the conference championship week, and then we're going to get him one more time sometime within the month of December to speak on the bowl games, including West Virginia's opponent and their destination. But we'll get to that here in a little bit. So, Jed, let's start things off here first. But first, a, a word here from our sponsor here, Bet Online, where the game starts. Where we'll start today is our recap of our picks against Baylor. We did a little something different last week. We actually had a bonus pick as well. So, so let's see how we did from last week's picks. What we should have had, Skyler, is uh, over under on uh, folk legends born in that game because yeah, we, we certainly had one back. Zach Frazier, Goodness deservedly so, uh, as we've discussed so much this week. But uh, okay, let's recap. This was a kind of an interesting week, interesting matchup in Waco. Our first prop bet last week the Baylor defense had faced going into the game 27 and a half pass attempts per game. The reason we brought that up, that was the fewest pass attempts faced by a team in the Big 12. But interestingly enough, in the previous two games coming in, Kansas State and TCU had thrown 34 times on average against them. So we quite simply went with over under, will West Virginia have more or fewer than 27 and a half pass attempts? I picked under. And it was interesting because in six of 11 games, West Virginia had gone under that number. You picked under, and we both hit it, of course. Uh, Garrett was 16 of 25. I have the game book in front of me to help us out with this. So under 27 and a half at 25. Number two, so we were both one for one there. The Baylor offense has allowed 7.3 TFLs per game. Again, this was going into the game. And that was the most in the Big 12. WVU defensively was averaging 6.2 per game. So the question, TFLs for West Virginia's defense over under six and a half. I picked under, pointing out that uh, even in conference play, Baylor had allowed 7.9, but still wanted to go with the under. West Virginia only three times that exceeded that number defensively. You picked under. Uh, we both hit it because uh, the number was five. The under was five, or the number was five, so it was under the 6.5. So we both hit that one. Uh, question number three, going in, Baylor was 13th in the Big 12 in rushing offense at 114 a game. But the Bears have enjoyed much success on the ground against West Virginia in our five games in Waco, averaging 249 a game. That's, of course, inflated by chunky totals of 468 in the 2013 blowout and 304 in 2015. But the lowest rushing total WVU has held the Bears to in a road game there was 127. 127 going into the game was the fewest we ever held them to in Waco. And the Mountaineers had held seven of 11 opponents under their season rushing average. So Baylor's season rushing average 114. The lowest we ever held them there on a in a road game was 127. So that was the question. Will WVU hold Baylor under 127 yards? I said no. You said no. Double red X. Eh. West Virginia did, in fact, hold them under 127 yards. 
Baylor finished with 119 rushing yards. It looked for a while they weren't going to have 30 yards rushing, right, until until the second half got cranking, yep. and that changed things. That third quarter changed a lot of these stats because that was uh, statistically at halftime, obviously, an incredibly lopsided game, but Baylor did something about that in the third quarter. And last week, for the first time ever, we had a bonus question, our bonus question. And, again, this was going in. In 11 games between these two teams since WVU joined the Big 12, the offenses have scored 38-plus points 11 times. Several times, both the offenses in the same game had scored 38-plus. In other words, 11 games going in. In those 11 games, that's 22 chances for an offense to score 38 or more, and it's happened in half those games 11 times out of the 22 opportunities. The question was, Will one or both of these teams score 38-plus points Saturday night in Waco? I said no. You said yes. Final score, West Virginia 34, Baylor 31. Both were under the 38. So I hit that one. So I was three for four. You were two for four. I'll take that. That's how it should batting average. That's up from about 333 from last week. So, (laughs) and plus, I've noticed something too, Jed. You you notice how, like, all these sports books throughout the year, like the beginning of the season, that's like your best chance to to get these picks right because as the season goes along, the the lines get tighter. It's hard to pick that. Yeah, it's almost like the same thing here. I mean, Christ, you had the the 27 uh, pass pass attempts, and it was 25. You had. The uh, five tackles for loss, which was what six and a half, is what we set it at, and then the the thirty eight points, and and it was thirty four thirty one. I mean, I, I I'm working uphill here, so we really pulled these from a Vegas book that I know of. I mean, I, I maybe everything's out there somewhere in a Vegas book, but but uh, these are kind of just up us coming up, yeah. you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever, or, or or less than creative way. Uh, to come up with some prop bets to make this entertaining. Uh, at least we entertain ourselves. I hope we're entertaining the listeners with it, but <laughs> we entertain ourselves with it. But uh, so that that's where we come up with it. It's just interesting how, I don't know, but you're right. Sometimes we've landed pretty close to them. Yeah. And by the way, have you seen the Baylor cinematic re- recap yet that, that Big Daddy and his crew did? I have. Yes, I have. That stuff is chef's kiss. And I, I think we got to owe – Big Daddy and his crew, a, a big tip of the hat to the to all of their work that they've done throughout the season. But those cinematic recaps, like Wes, I think, mentioned on a, a show or two ago, are are something you look forward to now as somebody that follows and covers and, and watches West Virginia every single week. You almost pray for one because these things are really cool. It's a nice little look behind the, the scenes a little bit. And uh, especially games like that where you see something you probably never see in the history of – West Virginia football and and what Zach Frazier did. And uh man, that story that you were telling on, on the show the other day, that that got to me a little bit. That was incredible. Sometimes you don't you don't see something coming. And uh that was really the first time I discussed it. And and I didn't think that I, it, it hit me. And and you know, I'm telling you, it was uh the O line was impacted in such a big way and, and I was I was seeing them get that news. And, and we've talked all year. This this unit's so tight. Like I, I'll never forget the game where, in the second half, 
uh, you know, Wyatt had to sit out because he got poked in the eye, right? Yeah. And and the the way the O line addressed it was at halftime to spend spend ten minutes at halftime making fun of it, right? I mean, it was it was just like it, it, it's 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 the old locker room style of taking care of your guy, and and this group has just been so tight, and and to see them just so crestfallen and heartbroken and crushed and and uh because yeah it's zach's a special dude man and, oh, and yeah. you know what I, I was happy to see that the national media had picked up on this to some extent because you saw some of the national writers whether it was dan wetzel or on down the line or even the senior bowl rep uh retweet wvu's tweet that had the footage of zach making his way off the field and and uh you know, I, I did what I could to chime in and, and, and add to the narrative of Zach so they knew truly who he was. Look, this this guy is so much more than just the toughest guy on the field. Uh, he's he's a truly special individual. I, we've said so many times he had a family member that, uh, you know, you, you can only communicate with through sign language. So Zach learned sign language to communicate with this young family member. Zach, the morning after the heartbreaking loss at, at Houston, Zach and Garrett, are at the children's hospital visiting visiting a cancer patient. I just he's a special dude. And yes. somebody in the NFL is is gonna get a gym that is gonna make their locker room infinite just instantly better. Uh and you talk about a guy who is the perfect one of the faces of your franchise in the NFL. That is what you want as the face of a franchise in the NFL. And uh and you know what? We're, we're gonna have a lot of fun with some of these guys, whether it's Zach, whether it's Doug as we track things. And, and of course we've got to track his progress from a recovery standpoint, because he'll be on the shelf for a bit, you know, a surgery went well, but you know, you don't recover from that overnight. Right. Uh, so it, it, it's tough because it'll impact the senior bowl and, and all the time leading up to, uh, you know, the, uh, the draft, but, but uh, yeah, what a, what, what a night. Uh, I mean, personally, he gave me, a couple things that I'm never going to forget. I'll never forget him making his way toward us on the sideline. I'll never forget that. Yeah. I, I will never have that out of my mind. I, he was slightly to my right, about 12 yards as he was doing that. And and I, it, I, I'd never seen that on a football field. I'd never seen. And to have the situational that, awareness too. Like that's just. <laughs> it, and Zach, I said the other night on the only Tate, uh, he's a quarterback in a center's body. Uh, I, I would have been surprised if Zach didn't do that. Just understanding his mastery of, of the game and the situation. And, uh, uh, but I, I, I'd never seen someone acting an injured player acting with that level of alacrity or, just trying so desperately and so quickly to get off, off a of field. I've never seen that. I've never seen an injured player, like they were in a race to get off the field. I've never seen that happen, and I will never forget. Yeah, it's it's one of the best moments you'll ever see. Um, best and worst in the same time. Um, obviously, you don't want to see the injury, but for him to to react that way and have that situational awareness, the way Brandon Yates stepped in, I mean, it was just all seamless. I mean, you could not have asked for a better transition. Hats off to, to Yates. Hats off to Matt Moore for making sure that they were prepared for a situation like that. Um, Incredible. And yeah, for someone that covers the NFL, somebody is going to be not just somebody. There's going to be a lot of these O-line coaches around the league. They're going to be pounding the table 
for Zach Frazier. They were already going to just based solely off of what he had done on tape. But when you see stuff like that and you see stuff like, or you hear stuff about him going to, to see the cancer patient and, and, and the whole stuff that we're talking about, about just him as a person, that's, that's the type of stuff that can make a center go in the first round. Because centers don't so, typically go in the first round, but that's 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 somebody that I, I don't know that he will, but that's somebody that can definitely, at the end of the day, you can say he's got a first round grade at least. So, hats off to Zach. Hats off to Zach Frazier. Uh, hope that everything goes well in his recovery, and um, yeah, someone in the NFL is going to get a gem. That is for sure. So. We're going to go ahead and take a break, and we're going to get to Phil Steele, get his thoughts on these conference championship games this weekend. And uh, there's no West Virginia game this week, but we want to get his thoughts on all these games. Um, and we'll do that right after this break from Toothman Ford. We all know cars cost less in Grafton. Nobody supports the Blue and Gold Mountaineers like Toothman Ford. With over 20 NIL deals and counting, Toothman Ford continues to rally behind our student-athletes. And it's time we rally and support the dealer that supports the Mountaineers. Not only does Toothman Ford offer the best prices in the state on pre-owned, their never-over MSRP campaign on new Fords guaranteed to, to save you thousands. Drive with pride all season long, knowing you're supporting the dealer that fuels our Mountaineers. Toothman Ford, where cars cost less. In Grafton and at ToothmanFord.com. If you work the land, you just got to be a jack-of-all-trades type. There's just too much to do. So if you got to be a welder or a farmer or a ditch digger, that's just who you are that day. Then tomorrow, you can be somebody else. Get your coyote at the new location of Johnston Equipment between Weston and Buckhannon. For more West Virginia Mountaineer football content, be sure to follow us on Twitter at In the Gun Podcast. All right, it is that time of the week that everyone looks forward to. It is Phil Steele joining us here on In the Gun. And uh, we've got 10 conference championship games to run through here. And we're going to hit each and every single one of them. So, Phil, thank you for joining us. And uh, let's hop right into this thing here with the Conference USA title game. That is Tonight at 7 o'clock on CBS Sports Network, it is New Mexico State and number 24, Liberty. Liberty going 12-0 under Jamie Chadwell. And uh, one of the names, again, that's going to be surfacing as a hot coaching name here around the coaching carousel. So, uh, Phil, who do you have in this game? You know, I tell you, it's tough to go against either squad. You look at Liberty this year, uh, they're 9-3 and three against the spread undefeated on the year and one of their losses last week against utep they led that thing 42 14 gave up a couple of late scores allowing utep to get in the back door so they've been a spread darling all year then how about new mexico state since that loss to liberty earlier in the year they lost here 33 to 17 they've only lost one other game uh in fact they've won their last eight both straight up and against the spread and just two weeks back they went into auburn and came out of there with a 31 to 10 win and generally when uh, a, a group of five team upsets a power five team. There's something fluky happened. Nothing fluky happened in that game. They dominated. They had a 23-12 first down edge, 414 two, uh, 213 yard edge. So this is a New Mexico State team that's playing real well. If you look at Liberty uh, as a double digit favorite, they're just three and ten against the spread. So uh, I think we're going to have a heck of a game. I'm a little surprised the number is double digits. It's 11 and a half. 
I think New Mexico State keeps it closer than that and should be a really good game. Hopefully everybody's watching there on Friday night because uh, it's it's going to be a, a good one. And we'll see if Liberty can actually qualify for that New Year's 6 uh, uh, January 1 spot. Also sticking to Friday night, Phil, in the Pac-12 out in Vegas, you have Oregon against Washington rematch, battle of two Heisman candidates and uh, Penix and Knicks. We always say that uh, defense travels well. Well, Oregon has the nastier of the two defenses. Will it travel to Vegas? What say you here in this game? Yeah, and I've been saying it for weeks. I think Oregon, uh, when you look at my average game grades, they are the number one team in the country, uh, 125.6. There really is no weakness with Oregon. You look at them rushing-wise. They average close to 200 yards per game, 5.8 yards per carry on the ground. You look at them passing-wise, Bo Nix among the best in the country, hitting close to 80%. How about 37 touchdown passes and just two interceptions all year? And last, uh, uh, last year at the end of the year, he was banged up. He's 100% right now. Then you look at the defense. There is no comparison here. Washington's defense is average to slightly below average. Oregon's defense is among the best. They're holding opponents to 76 yards per game below their season average. Very good rush defense, solid pass defense, special teams edged Oregon. They are the better team. And in the first meeting, which was in Husky Stadium, they had a 541 to 415 yard edge, 32-24 first down edge, three first, uh, fourth down conversions went awry, and they came up short. I think they are the much better team. They've been playing better. And my last four weeks average game grade uh, actually has them uh, winning this thing by uh, 17 points. So I like the Ducks, uh, and I like them by a couple of touchdowns. I think they are far, clearly the more complete team. And now on a neutral field, I, I like their chances here to get revenge. Kicking off the action on Saturday is the Dr. Pepper Big 12 Championship, Oklahoma State and Texas. The Cowboys had maybe the most unconventional path to a conference title appearance this season. They, they go in, in non-conference play and they lose to South Alabama at home. They get on a little bit of a streak. They beat Oklahoma. Then they, they lose to UCF by a lot. And then uh, they bounce back. And, and all of a sudden, just as soon as you think they're right in the Big 12 title, they fall behind at home in a game where they have to have it to get into the Big 12 title against BYU, but they found a way to win that one in overtime. Phil, this seems like a really uphill battle for the Pokes here. Do they have a chance to spur the upset and keep Texas out of their playoff hopes? Well, I love Mike Gundy as an underdog, uh, but uh, we have just watching Oklahoma State the last few weeks. Uh, they have been extremely disappointing. You go back to the UCF game where they got blown out by 42. The Houston game, they trailed at the half, 23-19. to 19. Uh, You look at the BYU game last week, as you mentioned, uh, that's one where they, they were down 24-6 at the half. Very lucky to come out of there with a win. Uh, their defense over the last four weeks, basically uh, over the second half of the season, not playing very well. They're giving up 446 yards per game in Big 12 play. Alan Bowman, their quarterback, only has a 10-11 ratio. And Ollie Gordon, since that Oklahoma game, really hasn't been 100%. And he comes out of the game a lot. And you've seen the run game has been, uh, you know, they had been averaging six, seven, eight yards per carry. And all of a sudden, since that game, they're averaging two, four, and four. So it's been a completely different team. Uh, Texas, meanwhile, uh, I, even though they're missing a couple of running backs, I think Worthy will play a wide receiver. Uh, but they are just a team that is physically dominant. They're big. 
Uh, they're strong. They're fast. Uh, every single unit that they have on the team is among the best in the Big 12, if not the best in the Big 12. And I think they're playing really good football right now. So uh, even though Mike Gundy can pull some magic out as an underdog, I think Texas is the far better team and gets this win probably by more than the 15. I like Texas to win this one comfortably. Head up to Ford Field in Detroit for the MAC championship, Phil. You have Miami and Toledo. Toledo, uh, seven and a half point favorite. Uh, there's reasons for that. Miami sits there at 10 and two, but one of those two losses was to Toledo. Toledo's only loss, meanwhile, was at Illinois. They outgained Illinois, and since then, they've ripped off 11 straight. What do you see playing out here? Yeah, Toledo's clearly the best team in the MAC. They are the most complete team. They've got Daquan Finn, a quarterback, uh, who's hitting 65% with a 21 8 ratio. They got Penny Boone at running back, uh, Maryland transfer. He's got 1,359 yards rushing, 7.4 yards per carry. They've got the offensive line, they've got the receiving core, and defensively, they're stout once again as always. Now, Miami's got a really good defense, but offensively, they just don't compare to Toledo. They're only averaging 333 yards per game. Uh, their top running back is Rashad Amos, who's got averaging five yards per carry, which is pretty good, but they lost Brett Gabbard a couple of weeks ago. It's Avion Smith. Smith, not quite the passer Gabbard was, only hitting 52% with two touchdown passes all year. He is a good runner. I think when I look at these two teams on paper, I would favor Toledo probably by about 14. But there's just something about the way Toledo's been playing as a big favorite, some of the way Miami's playing as a dog. When these two met in the first game, uh, Toledo got out to a big lead, but only ended up winning the game by four. Probably a slight lean here to uh, Miami of Ohio plus the points, but I like Toledo to win the game. And they are the best team in the MAC. And I said in the magazine at the start of the year, if they got past Toledo, they had a chance of running the table. Uh, this is, uh, they may be the best group of five team out there. Bill, going to the Mountain West, big uh, Mountain West title game, and that's Boise State and UNLV. It's a little unusual to see a team that fired its coach in the month of November get into a conference championship game, but that is the case here with Boise State. Do you like their chances essentially here on the road against the running Rebs? Yeah, when they fired uh, Andy Avalos, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, it's because uh, they were in the mix of uh, going to the big uh, to the Mountain West title game, and they ended up still getting there, uh, beating Utah State handily and beating Air Force again last week. Uh, the thing with Boise State is that um, when you look at their run game at the start of the year, I looked at uh, Ashton Genty and uh, George Halani, and I said they were one of the best running back combos in the country. Now Halani's been banged up on and off in his career. Gente actually missed a couple of games late in the year. They're both back 100%. They had been using two quarterbacks in Taylor Green and Maddox Matson. Uh, Matson's injured. Now that Green's got the team completely under his control, he's improved. And defensively, uh, they rate the edge as well. Now, they're holding opponents to six yards per game below their season average. UNLV allows 26 above. UNLV's probably here because they had the softer schedule. They didn't really play many of the big boys. They did get past Air Force, much like Boise did. Uh, but Boise's played the tougher schedule. I feel they're the better team overall. And the game's in Vegas. You know Boise's going to travel well. I think they'll have a good amount of the fans for the game as well. Uh, tough to go against either team here, but Boise's only laying two and a half. I'm going to lean with Boise minus the points in that one. Well, here we go to Atlanta, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, the SEC championship game. Alabama, of course, coming off an emotionally charged win with that miracle finish in the Iron Bowl. But if anybody can stabilize their team after such a win, you'd think it's Nick Saban, who down the stretch, they keep surviving near miss after near miss after near miss. 
maybe one of Nick Saban's better coaching jobs heading into what appears to be a pretty complete Georgia team, maybe not as complete as the last couple years, but but they're kind of firing all, on all cylinders as well. What do you see shaking out in the SEC championship game, Phil? I see a great game. Uh, you know, and while Alabama struggled in Jordan-Hare against Auburn last week, keep in mind Georgia struggled in Jordan-Hare earlier this year. They only beat them 27-20. Uh, it was tied 10-10 at half. They trailed 17-10 in the third quarter, Georgia did against Auburn. So both teams struggled in that stadium. Uh, you know, this is an Alabama team that's so much better than the start of the year. And, you know, back in the magazine process, guys, when I picked Alabama to win the West, a lot of people asked me in the off season, why'd you pick Alabama? And I said, well, you know, they're inexperienced. They lost a lot of talent. They don't have a great schedule. Uh, Nick Saban, how are you going to be the guy that picks against Nick Saban? And, and I didn't, and I'm happy I didn't, you know, you could have made a case LSU to win the West could have made a case for A&M to win the West or Ole Miss. But I went with Bama, and they delivered uh, the West title. But this is a very good Georgia team. Now, Georgia rested a bunch of players last week. They rested Brock Bowers. They rested Lad McConkey. They rested a few offensive linemen to be healthy for this game. And the Georgia Tech game was not as close as the final score. They were up by 18, about to score again, something like that. And they got uh, intercepted in the end zone. And then Georgia Tech went down and got a late touchdown to pull within eight. So they were up by 15 before that. So a, I think it's just going to be a tremendous game. I would make it one of those toss-up games. I think Georgia does win. I feel Georgia is the better team. But the spread's actually up to six. And I, I think Alabama's won something like 16 straight games in Atlanta. So it's tough to go against Nick Saban and, and Alabama. Tough to go against Georgia. I think it's going to be a great game to watch. I'm going to call the Bulldogs win that one by three. American Athletic Championship and SMU before they head to the ACC here soon. They're going to get one more chance at crowning themselves as a uh, conference title or champion here in the AAC. SMU, Tulane, pretty, two pretty good offenses, two pretty good quarterbacks that a lot of people don't know a whole lot about. This is a big one, Phil. I, I think both teams can, can improve their bowl standing certainly with a win here. Yeah, and I thought these teams were going to meet. And uh, last week in my analysis of the game, I was looking at it and I said, boy, I think SMU is the best team in the American Conference. I'm going to pick SMU to win outright on the road when they face Tulane. And then what happens in the second quarter, Preston Stone, their starting quarterback, goes down to injury. I do not think he's going to play here. I think it's going to be Kevin Jennings at quarterback. So now you've got a backup quarterback going on the road to Tulane. And Tulane's got a, a hell of a defense. They're holding opponents to 75 yards per game below their season average. Uh, that's number 15 in the country. SMU also has an excellent defense. They're holding opponents to 78 yards per game below their season average. But now you got Michael Pratt against a backup quarterback. I think Smooth's got the more the more uh, uh, potent offense. Uh, but now you've got a backup quarterback. So that sort of throws the whole thing out of kilter for me. Uh, Tulane is right now a three-and-a-half-point favorite in the game. I'd probably lean with SMU plus the points because I thought they were going to win out right prior to Stone's injury. But uh, it's it's probably going to be another really interesting game to watch. Tough to go against Tulane at home, though. Boy, Alabama, Sunbelt Championship. This has been a kind of a below-the-radar rivalry game that doesn't get enough credit, I think, in the last decade or so in college football. you got Appy State coming to town at 8-4. and four against the Troy team that stands at 10 and two with only two losses to a really good JMU team and on the road, Manhattan, Kansas against the Wildcats. What do you see shaking out in the SBC title game? Yeah, I tell you, John Summerall's done a tremendous job at Troy in his two years there. 
uh, you know, and going over the team with them this year, they lost a lot on defense. And last year they were just absolutely dominant on defense. Guess what? They still have a dominant defense. In fact, even better than last year. Home the opponents 86 yards per game below their season average. And this year they have a little bit more of an offense. Uh, they're letting Gunnar Watson throw more. Uh, last year, uh, Watson threw for under 3,000 yards. This year, he's already over 3,000. He's got two games left. Uh, Vidal at running back is a, a real treat to watch. He's got 1,350 yards rushing, 5.3 yards per carry. Uh, so I think Troy's a very dangerous team, and they're at home. However, anytime App State's an underdog, I'm going to take them. Now, they've struggled as a favorite, but there was a streak where they had about 18 straight games as a favorite. And then all of a sudden, they were an underdog at Georgia State. They won. An underdog at James Madison, they won. And earlier in the year, remember, they were an underdog at North Carolina, and they nearly beat North Carolina. Uh, in fact, they almost knocked off North Carolina two straight years. They knocked off Texas A&M last year as a dog. They're just a great underdog. So this is an App State team that's playing real well. We talk about, you know, I talked about the quarterback for uh, Troy. Joey Aguilar is playing great for uh, App State. He's got over 3,000 yards passing. 33-9 ratio. They've got a couple of good running backs in Nate Knoll and Kane Roberts. And the defense, Troy's got the defensive edge. I think App State's got the offensive edge. App State knows how to play as a dog. I'm going to take App State plus the points in a possible upset there. Big Ten Championship, Michigan and Iowa. And out of all the teams that are vying for a spot in the college football playoff, I think Michigan's probably the safest. You can tell me if I'm wrong here, Phil, but uh, Iowa obviously doesn't have much offensive firepower. Uh, week after week, they seem to be setting a new record in terms of the, the lowest total in college football history uh, heading into the week. So do you feel like this is a, a pretty easy game here for the for the, the Wolverines? Yeah, 24 and a half was the total last week, guys. <laughs> I can remember I can remember it was tough to get below 35, and, yeah. uh, and still Iowa went under the number. I, I tell you what, coaching-wise, I have so much, so much respect for Kirk Ferentz. This guy just gets – he doesn't want – he doesn't care about flashy. Uh, he's blue-collar. Their defense, their special teams, and somehow, someway at the end of the game, Iowa's on top of the, the scoreboard. Now, the last two championship games uh, – last year when Michigan was in the championship game against Purdue, it was close at the half. It was 14-13, in fact – they were outgained by 100 yards at the half by Purdue. And then the second half, it just turned into a 43-22 route. And then two years ago, when they hosted Iowa, once again, a close game at the half, 14-3, turned out to be 42-3. to I find a tough time going against Kirk Ferentz. I think that somehow, someway, his defense will keep him in this game and uh, could be a good game. But, I mean, they have lost their quarterback, Cade McNamara, and Deacon Hill is a, a quarterback that's hitting below 50% of his completions. He's got a negative ratio. Uh, they lost their top two receivers, both tight ends, and Hall and Reganey. They lost their top defensive player, uh, who's one of the top defensive players in the country, and he's out for the year. But I, I'm not going to bet against Iowa because Michigan's laying 23. But I do think Michigan wins the game. You know what, guys? I'm, I'm going to go with the under again in the Iowa game. What the hell? It's 35. <laughs> that seems high for an Iowa team. I think I think Iowa's going to keep this one closer than expected and uh, a lower-scoring game. But, uh, yeah, I think Michigan comes out of here a winner. Finally, to wrap the weekend's action up, final conference championship game Saturday night on ABC, Louisville, Florida State. Interesting matchup. Of course, Jordan Travis a couple weeks back against North Alabama got knocked out, uh, star quarterback for the Seminoles. You got two of the top three defenses in the ACC pitted against each other here, Phil. 
it kind of feels like Louisville, at least with the number one rush defense in the conference, is built to force Florida State to throw the football and find out if they do have a quarterback. What do you see playing out here? Yeah, and do keep in mind, though, that I know Tate Rodemacher and uh, Florida State struggled last week. They only had 220-some-odd yards against Florida, uh, needed a late touchdown uh, to get the cover in the game. But last year, uh, at the half, when these two played, uh, the game was uh, Louisville, 21 to 14 at the half. And guess what? Jordan Travis was out of the game. So in the second half, they had to go with Tate Rodemaker. And I'm watching the game, and I'm like, okay, it's a done deal. Louisville's won this thing. Tate Rodemaker led Florida State to 21 points in the second half and a comeback win, 35-31. So, uh, you know, Rodemaker has played against the Louisville defense last year, did well, threw for 109 yards, uh, and two touchdowns in that second half. So he's got uh, experience against Louisville, actually, although it was a different Louisville team, different head coach. Uh, I like the way Louisville is playing all year long this year. They disappointed me last week against Kentucky. Uh, it was a game they led by 10 a couple of times, gave up kick return touchdown and a couple of momentum swings, a couple of big fumbles that they had. Uh, but I do think Louisville is a team capable of playing with Florida State. Uh, and uh, with Rodemaker in there, and as opposed to Travis, you got to think Florida State's not quite 100%. So uh, I think Louisville's got a shot at uh, upsetting them. I know there's a lot of folks out there that are going to be rooting for Louisville. Uh, fan bases across the country uh, rooting for uh, Louisville to knock off Florida State, knock them out of the playoff and, and open up a spot. But uh, I think it's going to be a really good game. Uh, I, I, I would side with uh, Louisville as a possible upset, but I think it's just going to be a really good game. Tough one for me to pick. Tyler, if you notice, that's what makes Phil Phil. Who else this week has exactly. talked about Rodemaker actually playing the second half against Louisville last year. I'd completely forgotten that. Uh, yeah. Tip of the cap, Phil. That, that was that was a great piece of information. I, I completely forgot that happened. Uh, any thoughts as these things start to unfold and the craziness, and and we now live in the the brief period of bowl projections. Uh, we have West Virginia rumored to land four or five different spots. Do you have any thoughts from the outside looking in? how this may or may not shake out with all these different moving parts coming in here uh, with West Virginia. Do you even have a guess? You know what? I, I do not. Let me explain that a little bit. Um, you know, folks will ask me, they'll say, hey, uh, you know, I'll do a radio show and they say, this kid just committed to this school. What do you think of his impact? And I'm like, I'm not even going to think about it till he's signed and at the school. Then I'll worry like about it. how he's going to impact like it because it. I'm not going to waste I'm not going to waste a single ounce of my energy because this kid's going to possibly transfer. So I'm not going to worry about what bowl game these guys could possibly be in. You know what I'm doing right now, guys? I am in the first write-through process of the magazine for next year. It's a seven-month wow. process, and I'm already on Team 14. I do the teams that are eliminated from the bowls. Their season is over. I read through every single article that's written about the team for the season. So I get completely enhanced and engrossed in everything about the team. And then I do my first write through. Now the first write through, it's going to change. I mean, there's going to be players that uh, a transfer portal in and out, but at least I've captured what kind of shape were they heading into last year? What happened last year? And I got an early out for look for this year, but I go through a second write through, which is in the spring after all the portal things. And then the third write through is after I talk to the coaches, but it's a seven month process. So I'm working on stuff that I can control. And then when the bowls are announced, then I'll worry about where they're going after the bowls. But that was a good question. I appreciate that. 
a perfect answer. And, and also that, guys, now remember, when you're buying your magazine next year, this is why some of the other publications have three or four starters listed that are no longer even at the school when Phil doesn't, right? So, yeah. Yeah, it's a, I think talking to talking to the coaches is huge in that respect. And, and this year, of the 133 head coaches, I believe I talked to 120 of them this year. And each conversation takes roughly about an hour. We go over every single player on the team and their post-spring write-ups. So, uh, in other words, they've already had their exit uh, interviews with all the head coaches. So I know who's coming and who's going. And some of the magazines, there's always been a thing in the magazine business, guys. It was Joe Del Poplo told me this back when I started the magazine back in 1994 or 1995. He said the key to the magazine business, Phil, is to be the first magazine on the market. Everybody buys that first magazine. Everybody buys that second and then all of a sudden they, they, you know, they may run out of money and stop buying it. So there's a lot of push to be that first magazine on the market. But these guys that are going on the newsstand June 1st are actually going there before the transfer portal even closes. So as you touched on, they're going to have three, four players on their roster that aren't even on the team anymore. I go to the president June 8th. The portal's been closed for four weeks. We've captured where all the players have landed. And you know what? We come out later, but everybody waits around for the magazine because, let's face it, it's the best magazine out there. Absolutely. It definitely is. Close. And you have to almost wait, especially in this age of college football or college sports for that matter. It is just nonstop roster churning. And uh, as Neil Brown has constantly called, it's more like roster management more than anything else, year to year, that is. So, uh, Phil, before we get out of here, I do want to ask you about your your thoughts on the playoff. There's, I mean, you could argue six, seven teams really still alive for this thing. I don't know what your thoughts are on it in terms of who, who actually gets in, who gets left out, but how crazy is it that we're sitting here talking about all these teams that could be in the mix here in the conference championship week, we've got only four or only four spots open. We're going to the 12 team next year. What are your thoughts on the four versus 12 team playoff? Well, you know, back when the four team uh, playoff started, guys, um, I'd say seven years prior to that, I started writing an article in my magazine. I said, we need to go to a four team playoff. Uh, and the, there, I had listed a lot of reasons for it. And so I, actually it was 10 years I wrote about in the magazine and it finally came to fruition. So I've always been a 14 playoff guy, but this year uh, does make the argument a little, a little questionable because you do have so many generally it is sorted out by now. And you, you generally at this point have like three teams that you say, Hey, this team must be in the playoff. But now this year, I, th I think you could legitimately make a case for four or five teams uh, to be in the playoffs. So it'll be interesting to see how the 12 team playoff works, but this year uh, you're right. We haven't had the chaos. Maybe we'll have the chaos this week, guys. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Yeah. And for, for, for folks like West Virginia, it certainly makes getting to the playoff more attainable, right? Cause it's, it's almost yes. impossible to get a, a team like a West Virginia all the way up into the top four by the season's end, unless you just have a bunch of things go your way and everything lines up. So getting to the top 12 is a little bit easier for folks like us. So Phil, we appreciate your time once again here breaking down the conference championship games. We'll have you back on one more time, uh, taking a look at some of the bowl games, including West Virginia. It's been a pleasure, my guy. Hey, a lot of fun talking football and, and a great season with West Virginia yeah. this year. Made it a lot more fun talking about them on a week-to-week -week basis.
Yeah, I think I think guys, Neil Brown did one of the best coaching jobs out there in the Big 12 this year. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think we, we said it last week, it wouldn't be surprising if he won Big 12 Coach of the Year. Obviously, Mike Gundy did a terrific job with them as well at Oklahoma State. So can't fault them for, for making him the choice. So, you know, I want to I want to say one one more yeah. thing. Last year at the end of the year, there was all this talk about are they going to fire Neil Brown or not? Thank goodness they kept this guy. Yeah, you're you're not kidding. My goodness, I mean, talk about the, the job that he has done with this team, and now all of a sudden you've got some really exciting young players, uh, uh, three of them, all true freshmen. So this is something that West Virginia fans have been longing for uh, a young nucleus to build around. They finally got it. And it looks like uh, the things are heading in the right direction for Neil Brown and the Mountaineers. So Phil, we appreciate you. And uh, we'll be back here uh, to recap the show or to end the show here on Phil Steel Friday after this word from Fortis for roof performance and financial certainty guaranteed. Make sure to visit Fortis.us.com. For nearly 20 years, Fortis has been the nation's leader in providing guaranteed roof performance programs for commercial buildings. Fortis offers roof performance solutions that feature extensive initial and ongoing reconditioning for commercial buildings as an alternative to traditional replacement with long-term performance guarantees that are backed by global leader Lloyds of London. Fortis offers a comprehensive range of roof performance management programs that provide financial security, extend the life of our customers' roofs, and make a significant impact on ROI. Fortis is currently improving performance and increasing ROI for customers at more than 4,800 locations, with more than 140 million square feet protected, including many Fortune 500 companies that have turned to Fortis to save money, gain financial certainty, and extend the life of their existing roofs. Fortis has helped customers save more than $520 million in capital roof replacement costs for an average ROI of over 250%. To learn more, visit fortis.us.com. Fortis, roof performance and financial certainty guaranteed. All right, since there's no game to talk about this week for West Virginia, unfortunately, maybe this time next year we will be talking about the Mountaineers in the Big 12 title game. But uh, with no picks to make, we're going to talk a little bit about the, the Big 12 Coach of the Year, which went to Mike Gunby, our thoughts on whether or not Neil Brown should have been uh, awarded that, and then also some bowl projections. So first, let's go ahead and start with uh, the Big 12 Coach of the Year, Mike Gunby. Again, I – I, I'm a fool because I say it every year. It looks like on paper, Gundy's got like a seven-win team. This year, I was like, man, there, there's really no chance. Like, th this is the year he's going to have a down year. They get off to a slow start. They're barely beating Central Arkansas. They get crushed at home to South Alabama. And you're like, man, th th there's no way that he's going to figure this out because they're, they're playing merry-go-round with three quarterbacks. And then, uh, yeah, well, I'm I'm stupid because it's Mike Gundy. He's going to figure it out. They go on to win nine games to get into the Big 12 title game. Uh, not shocking at the least that that they figured things out there. But I got to say, Jed, I think Neil proved a lot of people wrong. And I think also part of this is why he's not voted as the Big 12 coach of years because people don't like to admit they're wrong. And, boy, were they wrong on the mountain. Sure were. And, you know, let's start with Gundy, your, your, your big 12 coach of the year winner. Uh, th there were so many chances for him to, um, to really lose things out there. Uh, and, and it just didn't happen. Uh, I remember the chatter of, Oh, well, there's going to be a mutiny on Saturday. And if they lose half the team's quitting. And do you remember all these, these rumors that were oh, yeah. swirling around? It was bad. Of course, a lot of them, the, the 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 flames were being fanned by Oklahoma people, 
but uh, there were so many chances for things to go south. And when they got boat raced by South Alabama, and a South Alabama team that turned out to be six and six, uh, now South Alabama did spend their offseason committed to pulling that upset. Their whole offseason. Oh, yeah. They, they kind of sold their soul to go to Stillwater and win that game. And uh, it caught up to them because they finished six and six. But they, they could have gone in a whole different direction. But instead, they looked in the mirror. Gundy, uh, I mean, what did Ollie Gordon have? Three or four carries in that game? They, they were a fundamentally different team, especially offensively. So they looked in the mirror and they said, what do we got to do differently? And they reinvented their entire running game. Uh, they were, or they had been, they've been leaning into a lot of zone concepts, very heavy zone. Uh, they went more gap scheme, more physicality, more downhill. And I, I really think the turnaround with Oklahoma State started in the loss at Iowa State the next week. The loss at Iowa State uh, against John Hecox defense, they, they lost, what, 34 to 27. But the run game that would carry them for the final couple of months of the year was born in that game. And it's tough to run against Iowa State, but they had some success on the road in that game. And uh, and, and the rest is kind of history. But even when they got things together, they, they get boat raced in the bounce house by UCF. And then the following week, they fall way behind in the first half at Houston. Well, they found a way to circle the wagons, bounce back, win the Houston game. I, I, I've often said, look, postseason coaching awards – whether at the college level, at the pro level, doesn't really matter. They, the, the, the strings that seem to thread them together, uh, it's, it's, it's often a narrative of overachievement and overcoming things. So not just do you overachieve the station that people expected you to land in, but you overcome the setbacks along the way to overachieve. And Oklahoma State did both those things. And for that matter, so did West Virginia. So the, the three names that I'm fine with, Sarkeesian, now you could argue, well, the fact that they were picked number one, the fact that they had all these units with all this talent, well, he helped recruit those units and he helped to get to that point. That, that's fine, but that's typically not what coach of the year conversations are about. They're about overcoming and overachieving. And uh, I you. would have had no problem if Gundy, Neil Brown, or Matt Campbell for all the same reasons. Matt Campbell, who went on the road and lost to a Mac team. And yeah. rebounded from that. They had to overcome that setback. So to, to put things together down the stretch and put together a, a much better year than what it looked like they earlier in the season were going to have. So those are the three names, Gundy, Coach Brown, and Matt Campbell, that I would have had no problem with. I, I always say that as a Steeler fan on the NFL front, okay, again, I talk about overachieving and uh, overcoming things. Chuck Knoll won four Super Bowls. Now, Chuck Knoll won one NFL Coach of the Year on. Do you think it was when he won a Super Bowl? No. No. It wasn't. <laughs> his only NFL Coach of the Year honor wasn't in one of his four Super Bowl seasons. It was in 1989 when the Steelers opened the season with a 51-0 loss to the Browns. In week two, they got beat 41-10 to by the Bengals. So you're outscored 92-10, to and you're 0-2. They rebounded to win 9-14, of Earn a wild card berth, went on the road, shocked the Oilers, and almost upset Elway in Denver. That was Chuck Knoll's one NFL coach of the year. You see, it's not one of his Super Bowl seasons. That's the Sark conversation. The Gundy conversation is overcoming the South Alabama blowout loss at home. That's what Chuck Knoll did. It works in college, it works in the NFL. 
these are the threads that string these things together. Those are the narratives that typically propel you to a coach of the year award, much like Mike Gundy won. And I have no problem with it. As I said, if it would have been any of those three names, Gundy, Coach Brown, or Matt Campbell, I'm fine with it because those are the parallels with those three stories there. Yeah, I'm with you. And typically, I would say like the, the the team that is picked to win the league and wins the league, I would say there's no reason why that coach should be even in consideration because you're expected to finish there. I think the only reason I would say maybe I would give some consideration is because they did lose Quinn Ewers for a little bit and they had to overcome that. But still, I mean, it was it, it was they have so much talent on that team that they really didn't need. Uh, Malik Murphy to do a whole heck of a lot so but back to my point there towards the end with Phil is this could not have worked out any better for West Virginia or its fans because if this season ended the way the same previous or the previous four seasons did we're talking about maybe having a coaching search and a ton of boy and a ton of uh, guys heading to the transfer portal and you're reloading, and all of a sudden this thing gets set back a couple of years. We saw at the early uh, portion of the season how Colorado was being hyped up as, oh, you can turn it around in one year. Well, we eventually found out that uh, depth was a major issue, and you can't win when you go and pull 70, 80 guys out of the portal. So for this team to turn around and win. Yeah. Your point. Uh even if you can turn it around in a year, much like TCU last year, lightning the, the, sustainab- the sustainability piece in the yeah. modern era of the portal is completely different than what it once was. Right, right. You might be able to, you know, blow things up with a big portal class and hit more than other teams hit like TCU did last year and then find a way to come back in the fourth quarter and overcome all these double-digit deficits. And all. You're, you're really – a uh, you know, Lady Luck really smiled on. So that was a magical season for a bunch of reasons and more power to them. But to sustain that is difficult because a lot of those portal guys are one and done. Yeah. Whereas in the look, past, look sustainability was, was what you built your, your program. Well, now you got to reinvent your roster or at least a third to 40 or more percent of it each year. So you might be able to turn it around in a year if everything breaks your way as it did with TCU, but then what do you do to sustain it? Because look where TCU is standing now a year later. So they have to do it again. Yeah, that's right. They're not even in a bowl game. So those are the two complications of it. First, it's difficult to do as you touched on with Colorado, the depth issue, all these different things that caught up to them. But second, even if you do all those things, right. You know, in in the old college football, one point of, if you would have had a season like TCU had last year, in large measure, it was because of a very fortified roster. And, you know, freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors, and a lot of them are going to be back next year. So, of course, yep. you're building towards something. Well, that's not the case now. So, you have to reinvent it each year to do it again and sustain it. So, there, there are challenges across the board. So, uh, yeah, continue. Yeah, and there, and there also is, like I said, with West Virginia, if you won six or seven games – or maybe even eight games, and it was a bunch of older guys playing, and and you really didn't have anything to to really build on in the future with. You'd be like, okay, but what, what's what's coming next? When you have Traylon Ray, Rodney Gallagher, Jaheim White, and some of those young kids on the defensive side stepping up, you, you're looking at this thing saying, man, this could not have been any better. You win eight games, 
and you've got a young nucleus to build around. So I think that's why 2024 or this offseason that we're about to enter is probably going to be the most hyped offseason that we've seen in Morgantown probably since what 2018 heading into the 2018 if, season if and this if is you the can conversation roster retention is as right. critical as roster management I and mean, that's right now we in, in the blink of an eye we saw three starting quarterbacks in the big 12 in the portal before you could sneeze yeah so everybody's going to lose players we just don't know who they're going to be including west virginia so roster roster management is more critical than ever of course but a big piece of that is roster retention, okay? What can you do, do with working magic with your trust that's going to be a smaller number than a lot of other schools you're competing against have? What can you do to be creative? What can you do in the portal to out-scout other teams and replace some of what you lose? Because everybody's going to lose players. I mean, mark it down. I don't know who it's going to be. Uh, I don't know if Neil Brown could tell you who it's going to be. Yeah. At this juncture, it's too difficult to forecast. But just about every team is going to lose people they don't want to lose. But then the question becomes, how do you supplant that? How do you replace that by out-scouting people? And that's where Drew Fabianich comes in as the general manager with his scouting pedigree from the NFL. That's why I feel comfortable that Drew is going to – these evals are done. In other words, there's a menu that's been established based on who has been in the portal. Here's your top 10 at this position, top 10 or 15 at this position. And then what you do is you sit down at the staff and you say, okay, if there's if there's 20 kids at this position, all right, well, we understand the first four or five kids, as much as we'd like to have them, they're going to Georgia or Alabama or whoever else is going to pay them four times more. Okay, so what about guys five through 15? Can we get creative enough to make a financial offer to them that, that competes with some of the other schools in our stratosphere? Or how about that 16th guy? Maybe we think he can be better than the other guys, and that's why we can get him a little cheaper because we outscouted people. You see what I'm saying? So that's where all that comes in. But yeah, that's but, uh, that's why this I is going Drew... to be such a critical. If you can get through December with a smile on your face, and then reach the point of what you just said, wow, look at this young nucleus on this team. Then in January, if you're having that conversation, you're in a good spot. Oh, having yeah. all these young skill players, having Garrett Green, I mean. Yeah, all these guys back, uh, some pieces. Again, yeah, we lose some critical pieces on the offensive line, but we have some critical pieces back. So on the defensive side, there's there's look at all three levels. There's a conversation you can have about why to be excited about what's coming back. Look at those three backers once we're healthy. I mean, when you get Trotter back, when you get Lathan back, Ben Cutter, uh, look at the defensive line, what we're returning. Uh, we're going to have to find us some corners and populate that room in addition to what we got, but uh, it's going to be an interesting month of December, not just yeah. with the the recruiting piece of it, but with the portal piece of it, with the retention piece of it. And then once January settles in, if we're sitting there having these conversations about, wow, look at all these, these kids that we survived December with, and they're still coming back, that's when you can really get amped up, right? But, yeah. but either way, uh, I, I agree with you. Wes and I had this conversation about, Different bowl victories, for instance, come in different forms. Like it was one thing to win the Meineke Car Care Bowl, you know, when Pat had a career high and over 300 yards passing Pat White against North Carolina. But at the end of the game, you're like, despite that exciting win, well, Pat's gone. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, but in the Sugar Bowl, when, you know, when Pat and Owen and Steve and Darius Raynott, all these freshmen were doing it, 
you know, Owen was a redshirt sophomore, but when all these young guys were doing it and you knew they were coming back after the big win, that's when you really get excited about something. And that's why this eight and four season, to your point, will be different than an eight and four season in which you're losing everybody. You're always going to lose some guys, but potentially if we can circle the wagons and demonstrate great roster retention and get really creative with our trust, then in January, we could be having some fun conversations about what's coming back. Absolutely. And that's why I think I, I personally feel more comfortable with West Virginia this year because of Drew Fabianich. Not every college team has a GM. That's that's new. And the country roads trust is a lot stronger than it was. It can always improve. That's partially on the fans as well. So if you want to keep the players, you got to you got to start donating to the trust a little bit. And uh, but I do want to note here, Jed, too, this will be the first offseason since Neil Brown has been the head coach that he has had a proven answer at the quarterback position going into next season. He already knows his quarterback. Last few years, I mean, you could say maybe Jared Dagey, but there were some still question marks with Jared Dagey when he was coming back. So I think this is the first time you kind of know who you are. You can build off of the success that you have. Um, And who knows, if you win nine games, you may be picked in the top five to finish in the Big 12, uh, maybe higher. So uh, speaking of the bowl game. Conversation too, Skylar, if – Speaking of that, if you win nine games, and we'll segue into the bowl here, but uh, you know you got your quarterback back. When you are a fringe top twenty-five team in the conversation, quarterbacks often dictate that. So yeah. if if you find a way to win whatever bowl matchup you land in, and you're nine and four with your starting quarterback back and Garrett, and and that's where we find ourselves this offseason. Let's say that's the case. There's a conversation that you're in the preseason top twenty-five. Uh, absolutely. And right now we're not getting votes. Right. That's how that leap takes place. A bowl win. And then if you can return your starting quarterback, don't underestimate when, because I, I don't know if you've ever done a top 25, but the truth is after you get through seven or eight, they all get, they kind of get jammed together in this log jam, especially when you get to 15 to 25 and you're looking for, well, what separates this team from that team? Really? Well, nothing does more so than a returning quarterback. Yep. So that carries a lot of value with these preseason pollsters. So something to think about. But we're talking about the trust, Skyler. It's a yeah. good time to mention. Uh, I shared this with the uh, the group chat. Oh, yeah, the this new, the new drink. McMurphy yesterday. Swilled Dog, a West Virginia craft beverage producer, is producing a 119-proof straight bourbon whiskey called 1863 WV Gold a tribute to the state being founded in 1863. It's part of a licensing agreement with WVU's NIL leader, Country Roads Trust. So if you can go to uh, Brett McMurphy's, we retweeted it, but if you want to go to Brett McMurphy's Twitter account, uh, there's a picture of it on there. It looks pretty cool. So these are the types of things you have to do to create these revenue streams, to retain these players in this new modern era of college football 2.0, because I've often told people, College football 1.0 was an unbelievable, awesome sport. But unfortunately, uh, Major Harris might have been a great player for Ohio State you know, <laughs> after his exciting freshman year instead of for West Virginia. Tavon and, Austin, and college football 2.0, that's what you got to deal with. You, you, you know, you didn't have to deal with that in college football 1.0. Back in the old days, you could develop players, keep your whole roster for four or five years. Uh, overdevelop, overtrain, and churn out a bunch of NFL guys because you had your players in your room for four or five years. That's so much more difficult to do program development now than more than ever. So you have to come up with things like this to try and try and retain your roster. 
Absolutely. And it's kind of smart, too, that they're going with the, the alcohol route here because us West Virginians, you know, we, we like to have a couple of drinks or two. So I like that. Um, speaking of the bowl game, we'll know the destination. We'll know the opponent comes Sunday. There, here's a few projections so far, and, and we'll, we'll kind of discuss this lightly here. The Action Network – or, excuse me, Athletic is predicting West Virginia – in the Pop-Tarts Bowl against NC State. Athlon Sports says Liberty Bowl versus Memphis. CBS, Liberty Bowl, SMU. College Football Network, Liberty Bowl versus Virginia Tech, which would be interesting. Uh, don't know that that would happen. College Football News, Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl against SMU. ESPN has two predictions, Liberty Bowl versus App State. Guaranteed Rate versus Northwestern. Fox Sports says Texas Bowl versus a and and uh, Sporting News says First Responder Bowl versus uh, Wyoming. So kind of a little bit of everything there, not really any common themes. A couple of weeks ago, it seemed like <clears throat> it was almost a sure bet that West Virginia was going to end up in that guaranteed rate bowl. Now it seems like there's more and more talk that the Pop-Tarts Bowl is more likely. Uh, things are still going to have to happen. You would probably want Texas to win so that they have a chance to get into the college football playoff. That then bumps up Oklahoma State, then bumps up West Virginia. So thoughts on uh, bowl projections. What, what do you think? Who do you want to see? Well, if, if I had my choice, uh, Pop-Tarts would be optimal. Yes. Okay? I mean, it's a $6 million payout. It's a great venue. Uh, we've obviously played bowls on that site before. West Virginia fans will travel to Orlando. We've demonstrated that before. Uh, the Alamo Bowl, as these bowls go, pays the most of all of them. It's over $8 million. But, but the Pop-Tarts Bowl not only pays a lot, uh, but for all those other reasons, the venue, uh, the accessibility for West Virginia fans. There's a lot of West Virginia fans in Florida, uh, transplanted Mountaineers. So I don't know if I'd use the word likely. Uh, it, it still seems like a bit of a long shot, which is why I was excited to see the athletic with some fairly reliable resources or sources, I should say, reporting that as a distinct possibility. And a great matchup against the Fighting Gibbies. I mean, come on, that's that's a great narrative, right? NC State's a heck of a football team this year. They're ranked. So that would mean West Virginia was playing a ranked opponent in their bowl. So that's a great opportunity for you. Uh, but, yeah, when, when you look at the different bowls and the different reasons and the different whys behind them, that's part of what would come out there. Uh, I, I think I would like most to see us land in the Pop-Tarts Bowl because that would seem the optimal situation, but I, I don't see any way that's possible without Texas in the playoff. I really don't. I never say never, but I think Texas would almost need to go to the playoff to bump everybody else up a spot and take them out of the equation from these big 12 bowl alignments and and uh, be part of the CFP. But, but uh, I mean, if, if I was going to say Independence Bowl, that, that, that's a payout of $2.2 million. To me, the one appealing part, selfishly, of the Independence Bowl is this December 16th. I have a recruiting show to do December 20th. Uh, I'd really like to avoid doing that recruiting show on site. <laughs> so on the bowl site, I'd rather focus on it back home and get to Morgantown and do the show with, with Tony. But, uh, yeah, it's – I mean, it would be almost strange to be going to a bowl game in Amon G. Carter Stadium <laughs> to the Armed Forces Bowl because we're there so much to play TCU. We were just there. I, I blinked. We were there. We just – finished our third trip to the state of Texas. That's the other thing. No knock on Texas, but I've been there three times this season already. I'm good. All right. Yeah. That was my 25th regular season game in the state of Texas as a member of the big 12. I'm good. I'm good with Texas. We, we can move on to another state. I, I'll take Shreveport, you know, 
but Memphis, the appeal would be the matchup. Uh, and the proximity. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that, that'd be interesting. Put the Black yeah, Diamond Trophy, you know, on the table and see where it goes. But, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's fun to see because these different people for different reasons. Some people just completely are – it's a shot in the dark. They have no idea what they're yeah. talking about. They just know that the affiliations are with the conference or with the ball, and they just randomly grab a team and throw it out there and publish it. And people talk as if there's some merit to it. Well, right. I saw it published in such and such, so that could have – but whereas, again, I think what you saw with the athletic, at least it's reaching the point where uh, – some relatively reliable sources are suggesting, hey, this could happen and that could happen. And West Virginia will be playing NC State in the Pop-Tarts Bowl. So let's hope. Uh, yeah. That'd be pretty cool. Now, correct me, if team I'm, Orlando. correct me if I'm wrong, but if West Virginia and Virginia Tech were matched up, they could – West Virginia could technically say that they're not putting the trophy up for grabs for that game. Is that right? I would think, but why would we do that? That I mean, yeah, that I, I would think they would just play for both trophies, the bowl game and the black diamond. But I think I've either read or heard that somewhere before. Could be wrong, but um Maybe yeah, I'm with you. Be. Yeah, it could be. I, I'm with you. I'm 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 wanting to see Pop Tarts Bowl. Selfishly, I'd like to play NC State because I can't stand NC State. Um and I'm in their backyard. I'd like to see them maybe play Carolina. That'd be a good matchup with Drake May. My wife would probably uh, don't have no idea who to root for in that game because she's a Tar Heel fan. So, um, but if it's not the Paul Dorch Bowl, I'm with you also. And it, I wish it and hope it's the Liberty Bowl because I, I think the Liberty Bowl is an interesting situation and you can get a good matchup there. I just don't want to see Rutgers. I don't want to see Rutgers. I don't want to see Air Force. I don't want to see any of these teams that don't have any sort of history. I want somebody that you can go and beat in the bowl game get that ninth win that has some respect to their name long-term. And that will really put that momentum in full motion into the offseason. Well, Air Force, it, it feels like it has vibes of that Liberty Bowl against Army. Yes. In other words, that was so challenging to prepare for. And, and that was a good Army team. And it's always difficult to prepare for those academy schools offensively. But uh, as, as I see it, I'd like to play a ranked team. Yeah, I love yeah. that. And the only scenario I see that again, there's other scenarios maybe I haven't thought of, but but NC State might be the most likely. If and if you win, ranked. and if you win, you That's can right. maybe finish the season in the top 25 with a nine and four. Well, again, again, you have to start by getting votes, then climb through that pack. But who knows? But to yeah. me, it's all about working towards 24. You know? Yep. I mean, if you finish the season even getting some votes, that's a step ahead. And then you get into some of the reasons we talked about earlier that maybe you find yourself at nine and four with uh, with a top 25 possibility preseason next year. Absolutely. So that'll do it for us. Another week of coverage. No game this week, but we'll be back next week having some more episodes going up. If you don't know when they're coming, uh, just make sure you hit that subscribe button. It's the easiest thing to do on YouTube. Go and find our channel at In The Gun Podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the like as well. Follow us on X at In The Gun Podcast. And uh, we'll, we'll be back. We've got a lot more stuff to talk about this offseason. Signing days coming up. Transfer portal. A lot of things to talk about here. So we're not going anywhere anytime soon. So for Jed Drenning, I'm Skyler Callahan. We thank you. And as always, be an ear and tell an ear about your new favorite WV football podcast. You've been In The Gun.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.